Alrighty. If I may use this stand here, is that okay? Okay. How's everyone this morning? It's good to be here. Thank my brother Charles for his, his kind words, but that's true. We thank God for the relationship uh, with Christ Community and Christian Fellowship. And I'm just excited to be here. Y'all doing okay? Now, now let, me, let me give you some rules. It's okay to talk back to me. Amen. That's what I'm talking about. It's okay. I won't be mad at you. In fact, you may encourage me to just go a few minutes longer. Now, don't do that on purpose, okay? Till 325? Oh, well, then that's plenty of time. I appreciate that. Well, again, I, I say it's good to be here, and it's always a, an honor and a privilege to just stand in behalf of speaking for the Lord at any given time. It doesn't matter where, where I am. It's just a blessing. And I just count it a privilege to be able to do that. So I thank you all uh, for having me today, and uh, let us continue to be in prayer for Pastor Gabe. Uh, he's headed back, and uh, uh, me and him have uh, really developed a wonderful friendship. And I appreciate him. We've been communicating back and forth for, for the last month now. And so um, I appreciate Gabe. So let's stay in prayer for him and his wife as they're headed back towards Kansas City. They won't come into any kind of bad weather or anything, but they'll make it here safe. We're going to uh, take the text from um, Ephesians, the sixth chapter, verses 10 through 18. Before we do this here, let's, let's look to the Lord in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, God, we come. We thank you so much for this day. Thank you for your loving kindness. Thank you for your grace. And Father, we honor you this day because you're just worthy to be praised. We ask now that you would just deliver each of us from self, that we may be filled with your Holy Spirit. And that even, Father, you allow your Spirit to move throughout this place and touch our hearts and make our hearts ready, Father, for your Word. And hopes, Father, that this day... Uh, there will be good ground for your word to be planted in. We love you this day, Father. So we just pray now and ask that the speaker not stand in the way, Father, but that somehow you would give me strength and wisdom, uh, good focus, Lord, that I'm focused on what your desire is today. And that at the end of the day, Father, we can look back on what's done and, and Father, hear that you are pleased in what happened today. So we ask your blessings now and upon our time together that you be glorified. We ask your blessings now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I'll put my help on right now. Amen. I need that. It's been said that there are no winners at war. Because casualties are, in, are inevitable. Lives are disrupted, called from, from the call of duty, sacrificed in the midst of battle itself. Families are displaced and many times shattered by its impact. Nations become insensitive to those who stood in the gap to maintain their freedom and their way of life. Cultures of exclusion are developed. The haves have and the nots not. Wars are inevitable, whether on the battlefield, in government, corporate boardrooms, classrooms, family rooms, and yes, even in the bedroom. Because the battle that should be fought is often misunderstood, avoided, or not considered at all. If the right battle is not fought, you could very easily be dressed up like one team 
and yet plain for another. It is the battle of your heart. There is a war that is wedged against your heart. And the enemy is Satan himself. Some of the things we have to understand as believers is that God has saved us and has given us freedom from the dominance of darkness and has positioned us with his son, Jesus, that we might advance his kingdom and and be the obvious alternative to the rest of the world. However, we have an enemy that's been around for a long time. His strategies wants to rob you of your freedom, keep you in defeat, sabotage your testimony so you won't experience spiritual success. We must fight, but we got to fight the right fight. The book of Corinthians says this, for though we live in this world, we do not wedge war as the world does. The weapons we fight with, with are not the weapons of this world. On the contrary, they are the divine power to diminish strongholds. Strongholds are those illegitimate thoughts that creep into our mind that come up against the standard of God. He also says we demolish arguments in every pretentious, anything that claims to exploit itself to be equal with God or extend against God, says we demolish those things and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Jude said in his word to believers, contend for the faith. In other words, fight for the freedom that Jesus has given you. Do not let anyone or anything rob you of the freedom that Christ has given you, the position that Christ has given you to be free from the dominance of sin. Jews says, fight for it. Contend for the faith. I like what Paul says as he looks back on his life and he realized that he's been a hard soldier for Jesus. Paul said, I fought a good fight. And when Paul says, I fought a good fight, he also, that also implies that there's a bad fight. See, if I got in the ring with Mike Tyson, that would be a bad fight. <laughs> Mike is bigger than me. He's stronger than me. He has a lot more experience than I have. He knows the fight game. He knows the ins and outs of what it takes to be in the ring. I don't. I'm just a ringside coach. You know how you are when you're a ringside coach. You can stand on the side and you can call all of the plays and you can say what should have done, what should have been done, and how you would have did this if you were in there. That's the kind of fighter I am when it comes to fighting Mike Tyson. It's best for me to stay outside the ring. But Paul said, I fought the good fight. The good fight is when there is victory in view. When you know that in the end, you're going to win. There was once a fight trainer called Angelo Dundee, and he, 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 he coached many champions, Muhammad Ali and Larry Holmes and Sugar Ray Leonard, and, and it was said that anyone who had Angelo Dundee in his corner was bound to be a champion. Well, it proved to be because he, many champions were developed out of his ringside. But I know some coach that is greater than Angelo Dundee, and his name is Jesus Christ. If you have Jesus in your corner, you have the trainer of trainers, you have the coach of coach, and if you listen to his instruction, you are bound to be a champion, yes, even in the midst of war. So our thesis today is this. In order to maintain freedom in the midst of battle, you must prepare to engage in warfare daily because there's a war going on. 
Either you're on the Lord's side or you're on the dark side. There are no demilitarized zones. Either you're on somebody's side. So in order to maintain the freedom that Christ has given us, the lifestyle that we've come to learn as we live out our life in Jesus Christ, we have to prepare to engage in a warfare daily. In fact, Jesus said this, if any man will follow me, you got to take up your cross daily. It's a daily thing. The enemy never ceases to attempt to discourage you from your fellowship with Christ, your testimony for Christ. He launches a daily attack to distract you from your position with Christ. There's a spiritual war that's going on, and it's for the battle, and it's for your heart, and it's for your mind, and it's for your soul. So the word of God says this, how then do we prepare to engage in warfare daily. First of all, by trusting in the Lord's strength and ability rather than your own. By trusting in God's strength and ability rather than your own. Look at what it says in Ephesians, the sixth chapter. In Ephesians, the sixth chapter, after Paul gives this discourse from chapter 1 to chapter 6, he helps us to understand as believers that none of us are an afterthought, that God had chosen us as believers before the foundation of the world. He helps us to understand that as a believer, you are God's creation, and he has created you unto good works. He also helps us to understand that I don't care how big you can think or how big you can imagine, God is, is able to bless you abundantly and exceedingly be, beyond even that. So think big and imagine big so that God can bless you great. He lets us know that there's one faith, one God, one baptism, and that we walk in the unity of the Spirit. He begins to help the believers to understand that the way we submit to one another is out of our respect and submission to Christ. So he unfolds that in verse 5 and he says, this is how it looks when a wife submits. This is how it looks when a husband submits. This is how it looks when a child submits. This is how it looks if you're an employer or an employee. So Paul goes through this whole thing to help us to understand that we are not an afterthought. God has provided a road for us to follow. And then he comes to the sixth chapter and he says, finally, not finally as an end, but finally to impose on you and I to help us to understand it is the beginning of our fight. When we understand God's will, when we understand God's direction, and when we understand what God is expecting out of our lives, Paul says, finally, finally be strong In the Lord. You get that? Not in yourself. Be strong in the Lord and in his power and in his ability. Because that's what we need in order to fight this spiritual warfare that's going on. The believer's strength is found in the Lord himself. The believer's strength is found in your relationship and your connection with God himself. You have to have a relationship with him. You have to have interaction with him. That's where your strength comes from. The believer's strength is also found in his purpose for your life. What he has wired you up to do, that's where your strength is. 
God gives an analogy in in 1 Corinthians of the unity of the body. And he talks about how we are many members and yet one body. And the eye can't say I don't have no need of the hand. and The hand can't say I have no need of the feet. And in fact, the body needs all members. But we are wired up to contribute in a special way. And so our strength is found also in the believer's purpose, God's purpose for our lives. And also the believer's strength is found in his provision. What God, he provides so that we can, we can use the things that he provides so that we can have the proper success that he's looking for out of the lives that he's given us. I want to look at a little story that God has given us in the Old Testament. And I think it just grabs all of what we're dealing with today in this text. The story of David and Goliath. Many of you are familiar with that. You remember David that slain the giant Goliath? And it's a wonderful story, but not only is it a wonderful story, it's a true story. And it's a story of courage, but it's a story of relationship. It's a story of understanding and knowing what battles to fight and who the battle really belongs to. The children of Israel, at least the army, was out in battle against the Philistines. And David was told to go out and take his brother some cheese and some bread. Can you imagine a war going on and your dad tells you to take your brother some cheese and some bread just to see how they're doing? And so David did. And when he got there and he saw the, the army spread it out and when he got there, he heard all of the clamor and the talk about this giant. And he saw the intimidation on the fate, on the faces of all of the soldiers and and, and, and how they were afraid to go out against this army because of this one giant that intimidated everybody. And so David, when he, we get to 1 Samuel, the 17th chapter, and he hears about all of this clamor that's going on, David says this, For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the army of the living God? I want you to catch that as we go along. Now, David has to be somewhere between the age of 14 or 16 years old. And he comes to the battlefield with grown men who are intimidated by this nine-foot giant. Now, I don't know about you, but if I looked at him through my eyes, I would be a bit intimidated myself. But as he heard the clamor and the talk about this intimidation that this giant would bring, David said, Who in the world is this uncircumcised Philistine that should defy the army of the Lord? Now, I want you to capture that just for a moment. Because David recognized that the battle was not a personal battle. David recognized that anyone that was connected to God, that the battle was not against them. The battle was ultimately against God. Then David said to Saul, who was the king, 1 Samuel 17, 34 through 37. David said to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of the mouth, out of his mouth. And if, and if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant 
has struck down both lions and bears. This uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the army of the living God. And David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hands of this Philistine. David had a relationship with Jesus Christ. David just didn't come to the line of battle and decide to find out what and who the Lord is all about. David learned in some earlier years and, and was able to interact with Jesus Christ and learn earlier that if God be for you, he is more than the world against you. David never considered his own stature because David constantly kept his eye focused on God himself. So David came to the front line and says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that comes against, not me, but against the army that belongs to God? So Saul attempted to give David his armor. Can you imagine? Saul is very tall in stature, this full-grown man. David, somewhere between 14 and 16 years old. And Saul takes his armor and puts it on David. And David puts this armor on and he finds it a bit uncomfortable because it's too big. And in fact, it's just not the right armor. David took it off and said, I'll use what God gave me. Then David just took his little bag with some stones in it and a sling. Verse 7, 45 says, Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword, with a spear, and with a javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of armies of Israel, whom you defied. Now, I want you to get the picture here. My grandson, Elijah, I don't know if he's here somewhere. He's five years old. And Charles is about, what, six, something? David coming to Goliath is like Elijah coming to Charles. Now, David sees everything that the rest of the army saw, this giant. But David is looking at this giant through a different set of lens. And so David says... I don't come to you in my strength because David understood I'm just a, I'm just a boy, but you are a full grown nine foot giant. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts. David says, I come to you in the strength of God. He says, I come to you in the presence of God. I come to you out of the authority of God. I come to you in the power of God. David could only come to him in that way because he had confidence in his God. David came to him that way because he had experience with his God. And because of the experience that David had with his God, David was able to stand up at this battle in front of a giant that was three or four or five times bigger than him and say, who are you to defy the army of the Lord? David said, this day the Lord will deliver you into my hand 
and I will strike you down and cut your head off. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine little five-year-old Elijah looking at Charles and saying, look, I'm going to cut your head off. (laughs) It just doesn't add up. He says, I will cut your head off and I will give the dead body of uh, bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beast of the earth that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel and, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword, not with spear. Because the weapons of our warfare are not of this world. They are divine in nature. He says, not with sword and not with spear. He says, why? But he says, for the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into my hand. David realized because of his connection with God and his relationship with God that when someone came up against him because of God, that they wasn't coming against him. They were opposing God. So the scripture says, be strong in the Lord. And in the power of his might. Be strong in your relationship with Jesus Christ. Be strong in your interaction with him. Don't let your interaction with him be just when the battle begins. Let your interaction start with him right now and right now today. So the question is, how do we engage or how do we prepare to engage in warfare daily? First of all, by being strong in the Lord. Trusting in his strength. Connecting with his fellowship. Understanding how he's purposed me to live. Understanding what provisions that he's given me so that I can stand strong against that which imposes on me. Be strong in the Lord. The other thing is by trusting only in God's resources to sustain you. Here's what it says in Ephesians, the 11th verse of chapter 6. He says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of of the devil put on the whole armor of God now look at what it doesn't say put on the whole armor of God then go and fight put on the whole armor of God then go and do your thing it says put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil in other words just putting on the armor of God alone is enough to stand against the strategies and the methodologies that the devil has to throw at us. We all understand what armor is. It's, it's that, that, that suit of metal that the ancient soldiers would wear to protect themselves against the blows that came against them from their enemies. He says, put on the armor of God that will completely protect you. And it says, put on the whole armor, not half of it. In other words, don't put on God's stuff on the bottom and your stuff on the top. Don't put God's stuff on your head and then put your stuff on the bottom. It says, put on the whole armor of God. And and what he said is, exactly what God has provided for you, put all of it on. Put all of it on, he says. Put all of the whole armor of God. In other words, you got to match. You can't wear one thing up here and another thing down here. You got to wear all of God's stuff. You know, a long time ago, my mom would lay out exactly what she wanted me to wear. And I couldn't go away. I couldn't deviate from it. I had to wear exactly what she wanted me to wear. And you know, some mornings, you don't want to wear what she wants you to wear. But since she's your mother, 
she laid it all out for you so that everything was there. Well, God has laid everything out for us to wear. We don't have to change it. We don't have to mix and match. God has provided everything that we need. So he says, put on the whole armor of God and just putting it on alone is enough to stand against the strategies and the scheme of the devil. You got to put it all on. You can't leave areas in your life exposed to the enemy. There's a passage of scripture in Ephesians 4 that says, if you give the devil an opportunity, you know what will happen? He'll take it. It says, don't give opportunity to the devil. Why? Because he'll take it. And there are many folks that are giving the devil an opportunity, just leaving a little crack or a little window open in their heart, in their life, so that he can come in with some suggestion, some idea that goes against the standard of God. He says, we can't give him an opportunity. He will come in and he will take it. The devil is very crafty. In the neighborhood, we say he got game. Because he knows exactly what button to push in your life. Kind of like your wife and your husband. They knew exactly what button to push, right? Amen. Tell the truth and shame the devil. But we can't leave any openings in our life. We have to be fully dressed with God. We can't, just reading the Bible can't be enough. Because that's not fully dressed. Just coming to prayer meeting every now and then is not enough. Because that's not fully dressed. Just learning a little bit of the truth for just today is not enough because that's not fully dressed. He says we got to completely put on the whole armor of God so that we will be fit to stand against everything that the devil is throwing out. Because the devil is very crafty. He's got game. And we know that he is here to steal the minds of the people. That's his job. We know that he's crafty through music. In fact, the word of God says that he is the prince of the power of this age. And so he is very crafty through the media. He's caused people even in our day and time to be so into materialism that they have determined their self-worth by what they wear and and how they look and how they dress and what kind of clothes and shoes or cars that they drive. When God has already defined you as very valuable in spite of what you wear. Since this passage of scripture has been written, the devil has advanced in his arsenal. I mean, he has built his arsenal in this day and time with media, with music, and everything that you can imagine that will come up against God so that he can get your mind and distract you. And he is causing people not only in our country but in the world to so get caught up in amusement where they're amusing themselves to death. He comes at you with evil suggestions if it's okay. He'll just whisper in your ear. He'll come at you with excitement of sin to make you feel as though sin is okay. It's a lot of fun to sin. I don't know about you, but if you ever look at those commercials with the casinos in them, 
and the bells are going off and the lights are going off and the whistles are going off and the people in there are laughing and they're having fun. And, and it's just like, wow, man, I just wish I could be there. They just seem like they're having such a good time. He knows how to capture your attention. But what he doesn't show you is the addiction behind it. He doesn't show you where people have lost their homes, lost their families, lost their self-respect. Because he's crafty at what he does. He set up a buffet at the casino where you can get crab legs. <laughs> at a very good price. All you can eat. And I hear people tell me, well, I'll go down there and just get the crab legs. And, you know, I think about that sometimes. I think about the fish in the sea have everything that they need that's in the sea for them to eat. I mean, God has provided everything that they need. But every now and then, I have a brother-in-law that's a fisherman. And he has a tackle box that has beautiful-looking worms and beautiful-looking glowfish and beautiful. And every now and when he goes in, he throws that, what do you call them, lures? He throws the lures into the water. Now, mind you, they already have everything that they could need or eat and provide for them in the water. But he throws a beautiful lure in there. And he just lets it run through the water. And he throws it again. And it catches the attention of the fish because this is a color that they have not seen before. It glows. And when they go for it, because it seems like a good piece of food, they don't realize that it's a hook. In the midst of it. We have to stand against the wiles of the schemes and the strategies of Satan. Because the word of God says he roars to and fro in the earth like a lion. But he's not going to come at you like that. He'll come to you as an angel of light. He'll say the right thing. He'll make you feel what you want to feel. He'll even let you hear what you want to hear instead of what you need to hear. And then when he has you, he'll bite you. He says, put on the whole armor. We can't muscle up enough strength on our own. We have to fight this war based upon what God has provided. It says, put on the whole armor of God so that we will be able to stand against the schemes and the methodology of the devil. So how do we prepare daily for this war that we're in? By knowing the nature of of the enemy unless you know who the enemy is where he is and what he can do we will have difficulty defeating him it will be difficult to defeat him because we look at each other and we're the most tangible thing that we can see and and we'll say things to each other we'll do things and we think the battle and the conflict is between one another but it's not there's a darkness that's behind the scene and God has an expectation for you and I, and he doesn't want anybody else to become our God. You know, our husbands and wives can say sometimes that, well, if she would be like this, then I will do this. Or if he would be this way, then I will be this way. If she wouldn't do that, then I wouldn't do this. God says it doesn't matter what anybody does, because if you allow someone else's behavior to dictate your behavior, then they have become 
your God. So God says it doesn't matter what your situation is. If you clothe yourself in my armor, I will provide what you need to withstand. Yes, even those tangible things that are right in front of you. Because the battle that you're fighting is not a physical battle. It's a spiritual battle. The enemy is spiritual, the warfare is spiritual, and that's why we need spiritual power. So the word of God says this in Ephesians, the 12th chapter verse, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against cosmic powers over the present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. In other words, what he is just saying is that we're coming up against an army of demons. And the devil has generals and lieutenants and captains and sergeants and privates. And it's all going on behind the scene in the invisible world, but it has an influence in the physical world. Because every physical reality, there is a spiritual influence behind it. Ask the book of Daniel when you get a chance. Just jot down Daniel, the 10th chapter, and read that. God gives us a glimpse of what goes on behind in the visible, in the invisible world to help us to understand that the invisible world has an influence on the physical world in which we live in. And so when we come up against this darkness, when we come up against this wickedness, when we come up against evil with us, we know that it's not always that person is somewhere on one behind the scene that is being used. And we as believers have a responsibility in how we respond. Somebody said, what would Jesus do? Well, what would he do? He would walk in his word. It says we have an enemy that has all kinds of weapons. And he says, so when you understand that you are against an army of demons that are in the invisible world that has an influence on this physical reality that we live in, we're going to need more than just our physical strength to stand. I don't know about you, but every now and then, you know, there are some things in my life and my marriage that I've been, you know, me and my wife fall out, have fallen out from time to time. And I always say, well, you know, I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm not going to respond the way I responded. I'm just not going to do it anymore. I'm going to muster up some strength and I'm just not going to do that anymore. And God lets us have some peace. And anytime you make a promise, guess what? You get a test. And so the test comes back again because you got to understand God is not going to promote you to second grade unless you pass first grade. He doesn't grade on the curve. And so guess what? He gave me another test. And I said, I'm not, I I feel it coming. I'm not going to do it. I'm just, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to just do my thing. And I'm just going to, and I'm telling myself all this stuff and I'm just, and then the next thing you know, ah, I blew it. Because I was trying to pull the strength from myself and I didn't take up the armor that God has provided. And in Ephesians 6, 13, the verse says, therefore, he says, take it up. In the earlier verse, he said, put it on. But now he says, because when you understand what you're up against, this is not a physical war. This is a spiritual war. So don't just put on God's stuff. Now take God's stuff up and arm yourself. 
Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And I guarantee you, every day that God opens our eyes, we're going to run into an evil day. And he says, having done all to stand. Well, what have I done? I've just put it on and I'm just taking it up. That's all I want you to do. Because what God provides for you is enough. And he says, having done all to stand, what do you do? Stand. So, God, what are, what are the clothes that you laid out for me? Verse 14 says, the belt of truth. You know, a belt holds everything together. It pulls it up and it holds it up and keeps it from coming down, which amazes me when I see young men walk around here with a belt on and their pants coming down. I don't understand that. I don't, maybe they put the belt on to keep their pants down. I don't know. But he says, put on the belt of truth because truth will hold everything together. Truth is eternal and truth will last throughout the ages. He says, so pull everything together in the truth of God's word and then put on the breastplate of righteousness. In other words, live out the truth that you've learned about in God's word. Because it's not enough just to know the truth. You got to live the truth. Because if you just know the truth and you're not living the truth, then you're leaving a little hole, a little area in your life exposed so the devil can get to you. But don't just live the truth. He says also in some of your Bibles, it says fasten your feet or shod your feet with the gospel of peace. And the footwear that the ancient soldiers wore, they said that they had spikes in their feet so that they could have footing and gain ground. And what it is saying is stand your position in the gospel. No matter what someone says, no matter how someone tries to sway you, no matter what suggestions the devil tries to enter into your mind to, to doubt what God has already said, then position yourself in the gospel of peace. Don't move. Stand your ground. Then he says, take the shield of faith. That is your complete trust in God. Even in things that you may not understand what God is doing, that's okay. Just trust him anyhow. Abraham didn't know everything that God was doing for him, but he went on anywhere, and we know that God prevailed righteous in his life. He says, put the faith shield of faith up so that you can withstand the fiery darts of the devil because the devil is going to be throwing them at you. And I know some of you think that the devil is at the nightclubs, he's at the prostitution, uh, wherever they do it on the street somewhere, I, we, we, the drug house, we can think of all of these bad places, but I, I guarantee you the devil is where he can make the greatest impact. And he's in church. That's right. The most dangerous place in Jerusalem the night that Christ was betrayed was not where the Pharisees were, it was where Jesus was, where the advancement of the kingdom was happening. That's where he shows up. And many of us, we want to fight these big causes of shutting down. Yes, that's darkness in the clubs. And yes, there's darkness in the, in the houses of prostitution. Yes, there's darkness in, 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 in drug houses and all of those different things that we see on the street. Yes, there's darkness there. But you got to keep your guards up because Satan's not hanging out in those places because he already has them. 
So we don't have to go and shut down the club. We don't have to shut down the prostitution houses. Possibly what we should shut down is sometimes our mouths. From criticism. Maybe we should shut down our mouths from gossiping. Because it may come as a small dart, but he says it's a fiery dart. And a fiery dart is meant to, when it gets to where it's going, to its target, it not only sticks you, but it causes a flame. But if you have the shield of faith, if you're standing strong in God's word, no matter what, then you'll be able to stand against the fiery darts that Satan will throw at you. Then he says, take the helmet of salvation which is the hope of your salvation. In other words, protect your head. Make sure that your headgear is there and that you're covering your head with the hope of salvation that only Christ can give you. Because the devil will come along and he will whisper in your ear and say things that are very enticing and cause you to begin to doubt what God has already confirmed in your life. You remember Eve, don't you? Has God really said? He says, protect it. Put on the helmet of salvation and don't allow any foolishness, any vain philosophies to come in. And then he says, take the sword of the spirit. I like this. This is my favorite. Which is the word of God. Now, the spirit is God, and he can use anything he wants, right? But his choice weapon is the word. You remember Jesus when he was taken to the wilderness to be tempted by the devil, and what did he use? The word of God. It says, take the belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness, the gospel of peace, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, and then take your offensive weapon, the sword of truth, which is the word of God. And you'll be able to stand. A little word, a little power. A little more word, a little more power. A whole lot of word, a whole lot of power. Why? Because the spirit is living inside of you and he desires to live successfully in your life. But he doesn't work on your opinion. He doesn't work on somebody's philosophy. He doesn't work on what mama them said, and he doesn't work on what daddy them said. His choice weapon is the word of God. And unless you are putting the word of God into your life to give him something to work with, then you are, uh, you are allowing yourself to live a defeated life. But if you want to live in the power and the success of the Holy Spirit, get more of God's word in you. It says, put on the whole armor of God. So that you will be able to stand against everything that the devil throws against us because it's not a physical war. It is a war of spiritual. And last but not least, he says, we prepare ourselves daily to engage in warfare by staying in constant communication with the Lord. He says in verse 13, praying at all times in the spirit with all power and supplication to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, praying at all times. 
In other words, he is not saying that you just walk around reciting prayers, but you stay in an atmosphere of prayer in your mind. You acknowledge that God is present at all times. You acknowledge that the authority of God is present at all times. You acknowledge that the character of God is present at all times. So at all times, pray in the spirit. And we already understand what the spirit uses. What does he use? The what? The what? So if we're praying in the spirit, we're praying based upon what the word of God has already said to you and I. And he says, with all prayer and supplication. In other words, God has called you for a specific purpose. And there's some specific things that you're going to need in your life for your battle, not only today, but tomorrow and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday. You're going to need some specific things. So he says, pray with supplication. Pray in general, but there's some specific things that God needs to strengthen you with. He says, ask him for it. And keep alert. Stay awake because your enemy is not going to cease to attack you. You know, one of the basic acts of war is to disrupt communication, the command post. If they can get to the guy with the walkie-talkie, if they can get to the command post, then they know that they have already won the battle. I used to um, look at CNN during the Iraq war. And, you know, they just key in on everything. And I, I can remember they were showing some footage of the front line they were fighting. And, and, the, and the, the, I mean, the enemy was firing very heavy and, the, and, and firing was coming in very strong. And one of the guys got on the little walkie-talkie he had. And he says, the enemy fire is coming in. We're being overwhelmed right now. And I need some help. And just those few words, just a minute or two later, there was some, some power from on high that came out of nowhere and was able to rescue them from the enemies that was overwhelming them at the time. Well, I want you to know God has a GPS for you. It's called God's positioning system. God knows exactly where you are. God knows exactly the battles that you face. God knows the enemy well enough to know all of his schemes and methodologies. And all you have to do is utilize that GPS system that he's given you called the Holy Spirit on the inside. You begin to talk to God. And I guarantee when you talk to God and he, he will send you power from on high that will help you in a time of need. He will help you. Why? Because the battle we fight is not a physical battle. It is a spiritual battle. So the weapons of our warfare are not of this world. They are mighty through God. And they are able to demolish any stronghold or any wickedness that comes up against you and I. Why? Because God has already made the provision. There's some good news for you and I today. You don't have to use your stuff. You can save your stuff. God has already laid out what you're to wear today. Isn't that good to know? It's already laid out. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father God, we praise you. We thank you. We honor your presence. And even now, Lord, we ask your blessings upon all of your people that are here today. That you would strengthen us. That you would protect us. Oh, Father, but that you would give us the awareness to know that you are available to us. 
and that you have provided everything that we need in order to stand against every evil thing that comes up against us. We know that greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Touch our hearts now and let us draw from our relationship with Jesus Christ. Let us draw from our fellowship with Jesus Christ. Let us draw from his strength, Father, in knowing that he is our righteousness and he has positioned us in his self. We ask your blessings now upon everyone that's here. We ask them now in Jesus' name. In his name we pray. And the church said, Amen. Amen. God bless you.